Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. Uh, We're going to jump into Mark. And I have a friend of mine. His name is Troy Martin. Uh, Troy and his wife, Jessica. So Jessica's down here. Jessica, you can wave at everybody. So y'all, this is funny. She probably doesn't even want me to say this. But Jessica was my and my brother and my sister's babysitter when we were a kid. And so I've known her since I was a young man, uh, a little boy. And, uh, and what's cool is her and Troy actually went to the same Bible college that I went to. And, uh, and so Troy and I, though, after Bible college, we weren't there at the same time. Uh, afterwards, we got connected, and I've got to talk to him and hang out with him, and then we planted our church six years ago. They're about to celebrate five years as a church plant. So they planted Venture Church in Encinitas, California, which is a suburb of San Diego. They are suffering for Jesus on the beach, y'all. Somebody's got to do it. People there need Jesus too, okay? And uh, so it's been really cool to watch Troy on his journey. He's encouraged me a ton. He's spoken a ton into my life, into what Project Church is doing. And uh, he's a great teacher of God's word. I heard him, 930 was amazing. He's got a great word for you, and I can't wait for him to bring it. So can you give a big old Project Church welcome to my friend, Troy Martin. Come on, make some noise. All right. Well, thank you, Caleb. It is so good to be here with you guys, Project Church. As Caleb mentioned, um, we are church planners, and because of that, we love church planners. We kind of we have our own thing together, like we're groupies, you know, we're, we're together on this thing. And uh, what, what Caleb doesn't know, and I, to, I shared this with the first service, um, a, a lot of, I, I would attribute some of uh, the decision that I finally made to take a step of faith to plant Venture Church I would attribute some of that to Caleb, and I've never even told him this, but um, when I was kind of wrestling with it, and my wife and I, Jessica and I, we felt like God was leading us to plant the church, and, and uh, we had for years, and, and the truth is, I was too chicken to take the step, and uh, really the truth was I wasn't quite ready for that step. But we're having this conversation, and Caleb, as he mentions, about a year ahead of us in the journey, and um, he's telling me about Project Church they launched, and I'm like... If Caleb can do it, I can do it too. So that's a true statement. That's what I was kind of processing. And it has been so much fun over the last five, six years just to be on the journey with Caleb and to see what's happening. And this place is incredible. Man, I have enjoyed being here at Project Church. I tell you, if I lived in Sacramento, this is where I'd go to church. I love this place. I love what God is doing. Come on, give it up for what God's doing here at Venture, or at Venture Church, at Venture Church too, but at Project Church. I got Venture Church on my mind, I guess. All right. Well, it is so good to be here. I've been looking forward to this. And as, uh, as Caleb mentioned, my wife Jessica is down here in the front row. She's with us. And then my son, Trev, he hates this, but he's 16 years old. He's at the back there with some friends that, that are visiting. My family, check it out on the screen. This is my family right here. God has been good to me more than I deserve. And uh, we actually have two daughters, 21 and 18. I know you're all just going to gasp your shock that I could, I'm not old enough to have a 21-year-old. Thank you for noticing that, but we have a 21-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 16-year-old, and uh, this is one of those, uh, this, the, the picture where you get dressed up in front of an industrial wall that everybody likes to do. So that's what we did, all right? And, uh, but that's my family. Again, it is awesome to be here today with you. Turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1, and I want to just 
just take a moment and pray as we jump into the message today. Father, thank you for what you're doing here at Project Church. Thank you that you take ordinary people and you choose to use us, and we are grateful for that. And uh, Lord, I pray in, the, in these few moments that we have together that you would, you would just step into this space. I pray that we would lean into you, and Lord, I pray that Troy would get out of the way so that you could be glorified, and that Holy Spirit, you would speak clearly to our hearts. Thank you that we're a work in progress, and uh, you have great plans for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I love this series. I love the title of the series, Marked by Jesus. And, and the, the fact is this, that, that when Jesus touches your life, you're going to change. And when you read the Gospels, you're going to be studying Mark. And as you go through this over the next year and a half or two years or whatever, you're going you're to read about men and women whose lives were changed because they had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And everywhere you go, if you read throughout all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, everywhere you go, anytime Jesus encountered somebody or somebody encountered Jesus, their life was changed. And I think, I think of just a few, like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector. Zacchaeus, who was despised by all of his fellow Israelites. And, and uh, he, had, he had been swindling people out of their money and robbing from people and and he was hated by everyone, and Zacchaeus climbed up on this tree. He was a shorter guy. He climbed up on the tree because he wanted to see Jesus. And, and Jesus looks at Zacchaeus, and probably Zacchaeus had a reputation. Jesus knew who he was, and he said, Zacchaeus, why don't you come down? Because I want to go hang out with you. I want to have dinner with you. Let's, I want to go to your house. And, and you can read the story. This encounter with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus' life was changed. Like he, he made restitution with everybody that he had st stolen money from. His life was eternally changed. I think of the Samaritan woman who was at the well. Jesus, who was Jewish, shouldn't have even had a conversation with, with the Samaritan woman because of the racial tension in that day. The Samaritans and the Jewish people didn't have connections and they weren't even supposed to talk, but that didn't stop Jesus. Aren't you glad for that? Amen? That didn't stop him. Jesus had this conversation with the Samaritan woman and, and built a relationship with her and then started to tell her things about her own life that there's no way he could have known. And, and then he reached out his arm of grace and, and her life was changed. She went back to her city, to her village. She told everybody about Jesus and what had happened. You see, when you have an encounter with Jesus, your life has changed. And today we're going to talk about the disciples, four of them the calling of these disciples, and their life was changed. We're going to see how their life was changed. You see, when we encounter Jesus, he changes our lives. And maybe some of you would say, well, Troy, doesn't Jesus just, doesn't he accept me just the way that I am? Doesn't he love me just the way that I am, Troy? Do I really need to change? You know, we just sang about it. You know, doesn't he just love me the way that I am? And I would say, yes, 100%, Jesus loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay where you are. You see, he has something better for you. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says a thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life more abundantly or life to the full. Paul prays this or says this in Ephesians 3.20, that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. You see, God's got great things in store for you. He's got great plans for your life, and he's wanting to call you into the greatness that he has for you. Some of you maybe would say, well, Troy, I've heard this before. 
He wants to change my life. Does he, he just wants me to be a good little Christian. Anybody ever thought that way, being a, like in church? Like, oh, they just want me to be a good Christian. They just want me to go to church on Sunday and treat people right. And then there's all these rules and all this kind of stuff. He, he just wants me to be a good little Christian. And I would say this, that he didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. He came to bring life to us. He came to bring life to our, our, our dead dreams and to dead relationships and, and maybe the, the, the dead hope that's inside of our heart. He, he came to bring life to us. Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. He came to bring us life in the midst of our sin. You see, he came to bring us the life. That's why Jesus came. And he's calling his disciples. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 16. We're going to read that in just a second. And uh, I encourage you, man, if you missed any of these, go back, read through. But let me just catch you up. Mark just kind of gets right to it. He doesn't, there's not a lot of fluff. He just kind of gets right to it. And, and the way that Mark chapter 1 starts, you have this guy named John the Baptist. And he's this voice who's preparing a way for the Messiah. And he was prophesied about. And he's, he's calling the people to repent and he's calling the people to, he, he starts baptizing them for repentance. And basically, John the Baptist, his, his message was, hey, it's not enough that you're Jewish. You need to turn to God. It's not enough that you, that you are Jewish by birth or that you've obeyed the law. You need, you need to turn. He was calling people back to God. And so he has this message and he's baptizing people. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes along. And he baptizes Jesus. And you can read it. This is, it's just incredible. He's baptizing Jesus, and when he baptizes Jesus, Jesus comes out of the water, and the heavens open, and the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove, and there's this booming voice from heaven that says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And it's just an incredible experience. And I just have to think, like all the other people that were baptized, they probably got back in line. They wanted to have that experience. You're like, why didn't that happen to me? I mean, that's incredible. But Jesus is baptized by John. And you, you can read in John's gospel, he actually pre- he declares, he says, this is the Messiah. He's baptized by John. And then Jesus, right away, he goes 40 days in the wilderness to be tested by Jesus. And then John the Baptist is thrown into prison. And then after those 40 days, he comes back. And then this is when he calls his disciples. Turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 16, and And here's what it says. It says this. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. It's their job. It's their livelihood. It's what they did every day. They were fishermen. And here's what Jesus said. Not a lot of small talk that we read in in Mark's gospel. He's just like, hey, come follow me. Come follow me, and and I will send you out to fish for people. So you're fishing for fish right now. Well, you're going to fish for people if you just come and follow me. And then verse 18, this blows my mind. Verse 18, here's what they did. It says, at once, if you have your Bible, maybe underline those two words. Those are huge words. At once. Everybody say, at once. At once. They didn't think about it. They didn't discuss it. At once, they left their nets, and they followed him. Verse 19. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat preparing their nets. Again, they're fishermen. That's what they're doing. They're preparing their their nets. They're getting ready to fish. Verse 20, without delay, he called them. 
and they left their father Zebedee in the boat. Anybody feel bad for Zebedee? Poor Zebedee. They just kind of leave the guy. They're just like, Dad, see ya. They left Zebedee in the boat and they, with the hired men, and they followed him. So this is the call of Jesus. And, and you know, I read this. I read this, and, and my initial reaction, I don't know if you've ever thought this when you read Mark's gospel, is it just seems too easy. Does anybody, would you agree with that? It just seems too easy. Like, he doesn't even try to talk him into it. He doesn't give a sales pitch. He doesn't, you know, in, in, in the church world, cast vision. He doesn't do that. You know, I'm a church planner, and, and when you're a church planner, you learn real fast how to cast vision. In the early days, we did some, like, social events. I started coaching basketball in the community, and, and my wife got a job as a teacher, and, and I was driving Uber, and I was doing anything and everything just to make it work. But we would have these gatherings where we'd invite all the people like, like, that we met in the community to come. And, and when you're giving people pizza and you're, and you're telling them about your church plant that's, that hasn't happened yet, that doesn't exist, you learn to cast vision. That's another way to say is you hype it up. Like you just, you just hype it. And you, you've learned to do that. Like we're coming up on five years this entire month at our church. It's about vision and we're celebrating but there's a lot of hype. So the church planner in me reads this and I'm like, how does he not like pump it up? How does he not sell this thing? You know, if I was Jesus, which I'm not, but if I was Jesus, I would have, I would have sold it a little better. I'd been like, guys, let me tell you something. Like you're, you're fishing today, but if you come with me, we're going to do some incredible stuff. You're not even going to believe what's going to happen. If you come and hang out with me and follow me, we're, one day we're going to, I'm going to be teaching like, like 4,000 people. And everybody's going to be hungry. And there's not even going to be any food around. And there's, there, there's, the restaurants are closed. It's too late in the day. They're going to be hungry. And I'm going to have you guys go find this, like a teenage boy's sack lunch, some Lunchables. You're going to find this sack lunch. You're going to bring it to me. I'm going to bless it. And it's going to feed like 4,000 men plus all the women and children and there's going to be leftovers. Like, come hang out with me. You're going to do that. Like, I would, I would sell it. And Jesus doesn't do that. At least in Mark's gospel, Jesus doesn't do that. He just says, hey, come follow me. Just come hang out with me. And, and I, I just think there's something, there was something about Jesus. There was something that drew these men to Jesus. Fishermen. Like, we're talking tough guys. We're talking, you know, there's a whole subculture there with the fishermen. And, you know, like, these are just tough guys. And for them to leave their livelihood and follow Jesus, there was something about them. And it's hard. For, I've, I've read this, and I kind of scratched my head because I, I picture, you know, as a kid growing up, I grew up in church and went, went to Sunday school. Anybody here grow up in church? A few, some of you, okay. Um, I grew up in church and went to Sunday school, and you would have, like, these coloring pages, and it was always like Jesus, you know, would come and he'd kind of look mystical and he'd like skinny arms and, you know, and all this stuff. And you had to color him in. And, and, he, and they'd always have almost like it seemed like a mini skirt, you know, on, on Jesus, it was his robe. But, and, and it was just like this weird kind of thing that you had to color in. And so you picture like, like Jesus, would he, would he, you know, would he be like that and kind of like presenting this, hey, come follow me and almost like tractor beams, you know, like. These guys turn into zombies. Yes, we're sucked into this thing. We'll follow you. And of course, it wasn't like that at all. In fact, Jesus was a carpenter. Like, he was manly. He was, you know, I mean, Jesus used his hands. He lifted wood. He did manual labor. He, he was, I believe Jesus had the body that I want to have. 
like he was yoked. I mean, and there was some, but there was something about him where he would connect with fishermen. And, and he had this relationship with these guys. These guys, there was something about Jesus that drew them in. And, you know, and, and here's what I would like to say. I, go over to John chapter 1. And keep your finger there at Mark 1. But in John chapter 1, and here's what's interesting. When you study Mark, it would be interesting to go to the other Gospels and you can kind of compare, like, what, the different stories. And basically, these guys are telling the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there's some variations, not because they were off, but because if you have two people telling the same story, the same experience, there's going to be different twists to it because something's going to jump out to somebody that didn't jump out to the other person. Well, in John's gospel, we can see this and turn over to John chapter 1 and verse 40. I'm going to read here in just a second. But in John's gospel, we see that these guys already knew Jesus. In fact, they already believed that Jesus was the Messiah. The Sea of Galilee wasn't a big sea. I mean, it's like 13 miles wide and, or long and like seven miles across. You could see across on a clear day and everybody in that little fishing industry knew, knew each other. And there's no doubt that James and John and Andrew and Simon, they, they, know who, they knew who Jesus was. And then in John 1, we can see like when John the Baptist was, was teaching, Andrew was one of his followers. And, and, and Andrew heard what John the Baptist said about Jesus in John chapter 1. John the Baptist said that Jesus is the Messiah. And it says that Andrew started to follow after Jesus. And look in verse 40. John chapter 1 and verse 40 is going to be up on the screen for you guys. John chapter 1 and verse 40. Oh, I can't read it. It says this. One of the two who had heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon's brother. So he had already started to follow Jesus. Going on in the reading, it says this. We first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. Going on, it says this. He brought him to Jesus, looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of, Zon son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So, so here you have, they already believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but then what happened was John was arrested. Jesus went uh, to, to the wilderness for 40 days, and what did the fishermen do? They went back to fishing. That, that's what they knew. They went back to fishing. And then in Mark chapter 1, Jesus comes along and he meets them. So, so there was something about him. They, Jesus had built their trust. I want to give you three C's. What is it about Jesus? There's three C's uh, real quick. I think there was confidence. There was this quiet confidence. Like there was a safety when, when Jesus came and said, guys, come follow me. There was something about Jesus like that they felt safe. There was a confidence that he had. And I would say to you today, the safest place you can be in all the world is following Jesus Christ. Sometimes you may have to take steps of faith. Sometimes it could get a little uncomfortable, but the safest place you could be in all the world is, is, is following Jesus. So there's confidence. And, and another C word I would say is care. They, they saw that he really cared. There's a buzzword today that we, we like to say, oh, it's so authentic. They're so authentic. That's who he was. He was authentic. He was real. He was genuine. And they could see that like, he was genuine. They could trust him because he really cared for them. And then a third C word is curiosity. I think they were curious. They're like, hey, we're living a good life. We're fishing. We're going to find out in a little bit. They were probably successful at it. We're, we're fishing. We're living a good life. But man, there's something about this guy. He wants us to fish for men. Sounds a little weird. I'm not sure about it, but I'm curious. 
Like, I want to do that. I want to change the world. They were curious. And that's why they followed Jesus. Can I tell you guys today, I know some of you, you've come here this morning, some of you, somebody has misrepresented Jesus to you in the past. Some, somebody, it may have been the church, it may have been a, a Christian, maybe that meant well, but they were super judgmental and mean-spirited or whatever, and they presented a Jesus that is legalistic or whatever. You know, somebody, somewhere along the way, maybe you've been hurt by somebody in the past that was a Christian that talked bad about you or stabbed you in the back, and somewhere along the way, maybe, maybe you have been misrepresented who Jesus is. Someone's misrepresented Jesus to you. And my prayer is here this morning and through this series, like as you study the gospel of Mark, you study this story, like you're going to come face to face with the real authentic Jesus, the real Jesus that can bring confidence to your heart, like you can trust him, the real Jesus who's authentic and caring, he cares about you, the real Jesus that, that's going to lead you in this life of this abundant life that he talks about, not just eking out life and just, oh, time to go to work and time to pay the bills and time to do this, but, but an abundant life that Christ has for you. That's Jesus. And the disciples saw that in him. So the calling of, of Jesus, here it is, three things real quick. Here's what we learned. What was his calling like? First off, it was a calling to follow. It was a calling to follow. <clears throat> you can see there in verse 17, and in verse 20, what did Jesus say? He's just like, guys, follow me. Follow me. Not a lot of other conversation, just, just follow me. It was a calling to follow. I want you to notice this. Jesus, nowhere in this interaction did he lead them in a sinner's prayer. Nowhere in this interaction did he go, hey guys, would you just repeat this prayer after me? I want you to invite me into your heart, okay? Can you, can you do that? I and I'm not down on that. We lead people in sinners' prayers. But I want you to understand this. Like, he didn't lead them in a prayer. In fact, you won't find that in the Gospels. You see, it's, sometimes it's easy to, like, say a prayer. You know, we think, oh, with this intellectual assent. Yes, I believe in God, or I believe there was Jesus. So I'm good. I'm good, okay? And we say this prayer. We intellectually believe. And when Jesus says, no, I don't want you to intellectually believe. I want you to believe. And when you truly believe, here's what you do. You follow when you truly believe. So that's the call. The call is to follow. You see, where do we get this prayer from? Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. Paul says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Everybody say Lord. And that's not a fun word. We don't, I don't think we necessarily love that because what does that mean? He's the director. Like he, he, he's in charge. I, I got to follow his lead. He's the Lord. He's the, the director. He, he's the boss of my life. I surrender my life to him. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. What does that mean? Believe in your heart, your heart, all of you. Everybody say all of you. All of you, your soul, your mind, your emotions, all of you, I completely, 100%, I believe in my heart, Jesus Christ died on the cross and he rose from the dead for me and I'm going to go all in. I am going to follow Jesus Christ. You see, friends, you can't just add Jesus to your life. You can't just add Jesus. For the disciples, it wasn't just adding Jesus. No, they went all in with Jesus. 
I think sometimes we, in this, our 21st century American Christianity, it's easy to like, well, I'm just going to add Jesus. I compartmentalize my life. I have my, I have my work life. And then I have my friend's life and my Friday night out with my friend's life. And then I'm going to, okay, Jesus, I'm going to add you. I'm going to give you an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning. And that's going to be, that's the Jesus life. And here's what we're finding out. And when he called the disciples, he said, hey, you got to leave this stuff. And you got, man, you leave this and you follow me. You see, you go, you go all in when you follow Christ. You see, there's a difference between being a fan and a follower, being a fan and a follower. You know, being in, the, being in Northern California, I lived in the Bay Area. Jessica and I lived in the Bay Area for over seven years. And um, so I'm familiar with Bay Area and Northern California sports. And I'm a basketball fan. And I know we have two basketball teams in Northern California. And um, if you are a Sacramento Kings fan, chances are you have been a follower. Like you're committed to that thing. You are like good, bad, and ugly. Like you're committed, and I'm excited. We're going tomorrow night to see the Kings game. I can't wait because they're awesome. They're young, and they got a great future ahead of them. But, but you're committed. You're a follower. You're not just a bandwagon fan, all right? Now, there's another team that's like 80 miles south of us, and I'm not judging anybody in the room. But, but, but I just know because I live down there, there, there's a lot of people that were casual fans and then when the Warriors started winning championships, then they became followers. You know? <laughs> Fair weather. You see, here's what we're called to, guys. I know I'm having fun with this. I'm having fun. But, but we're called to go all in. When the disciples were called, like they left their livelihood, they left their nets, they left their boats, they left little, they left daddy Zebedee in the boat, and they completely went all in and followed after Jesus. They went all in, they followed. Here's the second part of this calling, and uh, it's this, the calling to leave, the call to leave. So they followed, but then they also had, they had to leave some stuff. Look at verse 18. What did they leave? They left their nets. Look at verse 20. What did they leave? They left their nets and they left Zebedee. They left their dad. And they they left all of that and they followed after Jesus. What does that mean? What, what, What happened exactly? Man, it had huge ramifications for them. It meant a lot. They were leaving their livelihood. They were leaving their 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 financial security. They were leaving a lot. And it was probably a pretty affluent, successful fishing company in that day because if you read it in the, in the text there, it says that they left their dad, Zebedee, with the hired men. The fact that he was able to hire people meant that they were successful. So, so it wasn't just like, oh, I don't really have anything going on. I think I'll follow you. No, they had to leave stuff behind that was very meaningful. In fact, back in that day, in that culture, like the, the reality was this, like James and John, they were fishermen and, and their dad Zebedee was a fisherman. But guess what? Dad, Zebedee's dad was probably also a fisherman. And, and, and Zebedee's grandpa 
was probably a fisherman, and Zebedee's great-grandfather was probably a fisherman. You see, in that day, it was just like culturally um, expected to follow in the family business and to pass it on for generations. So Jesus is saying, hey guys, I want you to leave all of this that you've ever known and follow me. They had to leave stuff. They had to leave fishing. Fishing's not a bad thing. How many, how many fishermen? Any fishermen in the house? Okay, two. All right, that's awesome, all right? I'm not much of a fish, fisherman. I have fished, and I, I enjoy it when I get a chance. But fishing is not a bad thing. Like, it's a great thing. It's a, it's a great way to use your time. You kind of relax. And in their case, in their case, it was their job. They're being responsible. They're working hard. This is their livelihood. And Jesus is asking them to leave something that was good. But you see, guys, sometimes we have to leave what is good for what is best. Sometimes good can be the enemy of the best. And there's some of you guys today, like there's something in your life that God's speaking to. You know what it is. The Holy Spirit's tugging at your heart, poking at your heart and saying, hey, I want you to leave this. It may not even be something bad. But I want you to leave this and maybe it's a dream, maybe it's a goal that you've had and and he's saying, I want you to kind of refocus your life a little bit. I want you to leave this thing that's good for for what I want to give you and that's what's best for you. So he's calling us to do that. He's calling us to leave stuff. Now there's some things in our lives that, that aren't good and we need to leave. There's some things in our life that are actually weighing us down and and maybe holding us back. Maybe for some of you today, maybe it's an attitude that you've held on to and you just have this chip on your shoulder, an attitude. Maybe it's pride. You're just filled with pride and you just want to do things your own way and you're you're just not willing to humble yourself. And yes, you're a Christian. You want to live for Jesus, but, but you've been holding on to pride and he's saying, hey, I need you to lay it down. Maybe for some of you, it's fear. Maybe there's a fear that's gripped your heart. Maybe it's a fear of the future. There's uncertainty in the future. And, and God's speaking to your heart about laying that thing down and following him. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe there's a relationship you know is not good. It's not healthy. In fact, you know it's probably destructive. And God's been speaking to your heart and saying, I need you to lay that thing down. I need you to leave it. Leave it here and follow me. Leave it here. Lay it down. Leave it behind and follow me. You see, over the years, I, I, I prayed to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior when I was five years old. When I was five years old, my dad, I remember we were visiting my grandparents in Canada, um, Canada, eh? And um, we were visiting grandparents, and we, we, on a Saturday morning, we knelt beside a couch. I, we were the only two up. And he's like, Troy, do you want to pray to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior? And he prayed. I remember that day specifically. And I followed Jesus, and, but I haven't been perfect like there's been times over the years where, where I've had to kind of leave some stuff. Like, oh, Troy, get rid of it, leave that and redirect and follow. You see, there's a, there's a scripture that says this, if anyone wants to come after me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. You see, I believe this, like following Jesus is a daily decision. It's like tomorrow morning, man, I'm getting ready for work. Guess what? God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you today. I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm going to sin. I know I'm going to mess up. I know I'm, I'm going to lack faith at times, but I'm going to follow after you today. You see, it's leaving some stuff behind. When I was um, getting ready to plant the church about six years ago, I found myself in really the darkest season of my life. 
I was an executive pastor at a large church in the Midwest and a teaching pastor and left there and it, and it was not an easy transition for our family. And my wife's sister and her husband and their kids live in San Diego and we thought, well, hey, let's go to San Diego. We'll hang out for the summer. And um, I was interviewing to be a senior pastor at different churches around the country and some of those doors closed. Some of them were open, but we didn't have a piece about it. And, and so what, was, what we thought would be like two months, like, hey, let's go to San Diego. That would be fun. Let's do that for the summer. Ended up being like over a year. And, and here I am as a father, kids becoming teenagers. I'd always, we'd always own our own home and provided for my family. And here I, here I was living with my brother-in-law. And I felt, I, I felt, like, I felt like a failure. And, and all the while through that, like God kept working on my heart. And he kept saying, Troy, I, you know, I, I'm calling you. I, I'm leading you. I'm directing you. And, and I knew, all, I knew, really knew for some time, like we needed to take a step of faith to plant the church. And, and, and really all the while, like what God had to do is he had to empty Troy of Troy. I, I, had, to, I, had, to, I had to leave some stuff. I had to leave my pride. I, I, I had to leave this sense of self-dependency. Like, like oh, I, I've made it. I've arrived. I can do this. I had to leave that stuff behind and say yes to Jesus and say, hey, I'm going to follow you. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know if anybody's going to come to this thing. I don't know if we're going to be successful, but we're going to follow you. But I had to leave stuff behind. And I hesitate to even share that with you guys because so many times we think vocational ministry. And you think, well, if, if, if I'm really going to follow Jesus, well, I've got to leave my job and I've got to go to be, be a missionary in, in Africa or something or China or whatever. And that may be the case for some of you. Maybe God's calling you to that. But for, for, for probably most of us, God's calling you just to simply follow him every day. When you go to work tomorrow morning, when you go to school tomorrow, when you're in your, with your friends and your neighbor or whatever, God's calling you to follow him every day. Here's the final thing I want you to see about the call. It's a call to a task. The call to a task. What did Jesus say? He said, guys, follow me. And, and, and if you follow me, you're not going to be fishing for fish. You're going to fish for people. You're going to fish for people. What was he saying? They knew what he was talking about. This new kingdom that Chrissy talked about last week. This, this kingdom, this, the kingdom of God is near he, he, was, he was calling them to change the world. He's like, guys, I've got a job for you. I've got a task for you. It's going to be exciting, man. It's going to require sacrifice. But you're going to ch let's change the world together, guys. And he called them to a task. You see, for some of us, for all of us today, when we're called to follow Jesus, we follow, we leave things behind, and then we have a job. And really, here's what it means. It means like for now on, your life, if, as a follower of Christ, your life isn't about you, it's about helping others. That's the task. Like when you go to a job, like you, they, you get a paycheck and you're there, but your primary reason for being there is to, is to point people to Jesus, is to love the world, is to love people around you, to love your community. You go to school, you may be a college student, you're, yes, you're getting an education, but you're also shining your light for Christ. You have a task, you have a job to do. That's what he calls us to do as followers of Christ. You see, when we're marked by Jesus, he doesn't just change our destination, but he changes our destiny. He changes our destiny. I think there's a lot of folks that they, they want their destination changed. You know what I mean by that, right? 
Like, they don't want to go to hell. Like, hey, I don't want to go there, so I'm going to follow you. But, but he says, hey, it's not just your destination. It's your destiny. I have something great in store for you. I have a task for you. I have a job for you. I'm going to use you. And that was the call to his disciples, and that's the call to you and I. You may want to write down in your, I'm going to close with this, Luke chapter 5. <coughs> Luke chapter 5, I don't have time to read it. But it's interesting to me, like Mark, when you read Mark's gospel, there's not a lot of details. It's so simplistic. It's like, hey, um, guys, follow me. Oh, okay, yeah, I think we'll do that. And that's, I mean, it, that's it. If you read Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 5, this is an incredible story. And for the life of me, I cannot even imagine, like, why Mark left this story out. But this same situation, here's how, here's how Luke tells the story. Jesus was teaching on the shore. And, and there's this crowd, like thousands of people, they're crowding around him and they start to push toward him. And he starts to get out in the water. He's like ankle deep and he's teaching this crowd. And he's pushed out into the water and all of a sudden he looks, he sees two boats, fishing boats. The fishermen had been fishing all night long, didn't catch anything. He gets inside one of the boats and he's standing on the boat teaching the crowd. Anybody ever heard this story before? He's teaching the crowd. Simon Peter's one of the fishermen. And Jesus, after he's done teaching, it says that he turns to Simon. He's like, hey, hey, Simon, I want you to go out a little deeper and cast the net out again. And Simon's trying to be respectful, but on the inside he's thinking, who do you think you are? Like, I'm a fisherman. I know this body of water. I know where all the fish are. And plus, it's, it's daytime now. They're not going to fish. Like, they're not, the fish aren't going to jump in this net. They're going to look at that net, and they're going to go, oh, it's a net. I think I'll go the other way. Like, he's like, what, are, what, what do you think? What are we doing? And, but he's obedient out of respect for Jesus. He goes out a little deeper, and he puts the net into the, into the water. And here's, what the, here's how the story reads. Like, he caught so many fish, the net filled up. He had to call his friends in the other boat and say, hey, guys, come help. They had so many fish, the net started to break. The boat actually started to sink. And Simon Peter looks at Jesus and is like, I am not worthy to have you in my boat. Get away from me. He's like, no, I can't be around you. And it's with that, if you read in Luke chapter 5, that Jesus says, hey, don't fear. Don't fear, Simon. Follow me. <laughs> Follow me. Follow me. And they followed him. Now that's the story I would tell. <laughs> Mark's gospel doesn't do that. And I think, man, why does, Mark, why does Mark make it so simple? Luke tells us great story. Mark's just like, hey, follow me. Okay, I think we'll do that. Yeah, I mean, that's all he does. Why does he make it so simple? And here's what, this is just my, my thoughts. You see, Mark wanted the simplicity of the calling. Like, no fireworks, no hype, no, no fanfare, no spectacle. Mark wanted the simplicity of the calling. And the simplicity of the calling is this, that Jesus today, Jesus is why he's here today. And he, and he sees where you're at and he's saying, hey, hey, would you just follow me? Just follow me. And, and guess what? If you follow me, you're going to leave this stuff behind. And guess what? I have a job for you. So simple. And that's the calling of Jesus to his disciples and to you and I today. Let's close our eyes all over this place. Go ahead and stand to your feet if you would. We hope this word encouraged you today. 
If you haven't heard, we recently purchased a building in Old Sacramento. This is going to be the permanent home of Project Church. We are here to stay in Sacramento. But I wanted to ask you if you would consider giving, uh, donating to help make this vision come to fruition. You can go to www.projectchurch.com backslash believe to see more about the building and to donate. God bless you and let's see what God can do through us.